Welcome to That One Record. Today we are going to talk about an album that is in my top 10, all time, no questions, one of my favorite artists, Desark, and we're going to look at 2011's Don't Rock the Boat, Sink the Fucker. Amey had been making music under the name Desark for a few years already before this album came out. I first discovered Desark uh, with a, a little EP called Battle of the Beard. It's a very stripped down simple five songs but when I started listening to it her music just hit me in a way that I hadn't expected it to it was um, beautiful in its simplicity but absolutely gutting and raw lyrically as well as as vocal performance delivery we talk a lot about you know the feel the groove of the song like all that kind of stuff And, and you know some artists specifically You know, upbeat songs, really dark lyrics, you know, to get that juxtaposition. But this was music that was was stirring and engaging and lyrics that just cut you down at the the deepest part of your core. One thing I set out to do with this show from from the very beginning was just hopefully uh, not only let people see the inner workings of the albums they already love but maybe if they they came along for this ride uh, of the show to discover something they haven't listened to before and if if you have not listened to Desarc it's the biggest goal for me to just get more people listening to it now Desarc is as of now done for the last few years you can hear in the interview likely not coming back but who knows I will hold my breath hoping but this album, Don't Rock the Boat, Sink the Fucker, has been such a huge one for me. It is, uh, at times, loud and brazen, at times super quiet, uh, but never never dull, never boring, uh, emotionally crushing. It is stimulating, but it is beautiful in its sadness. And Amei was super kind to give me all this time in this interview and talk about some of the deep, darker personal stuff that went on with this to talk about the experience of, of, of working in the music industry. And like most of these bands, Desart just toured so hard all the time, especially through Europe. Europe really has uh, a scene and a network that really cultivates these kind of artists. And, and it's a real grind. Uh, and you'll hear in the interview it's a it's a grind mentally mentally physically emotionally uh financially and eventually all those things catch up and, and sort of put an end to desert as we know it a few years ago but we still have this record we still have everything that was released uh through this time basically a decade's worth of work and all of it all of it is top tier. All of it is incredibly beautiful. All of it is some of my favorite music that's ever been ever been put out. This album takes you deep into the weeds and forces you to face head on some of the most uncomfortable things uh, that, that we could do or experience as humans. Maybe you were like me when I came across this album, like just a 20-year-old fool who these things are so disconnected these these ideas I didn't really have to examine in my day-to-day life due to who I was how I identified all these things and it makes you stop and examine them from from a, a, a unique perspective it, it forces you to see the humanity in things 
uh, e even when they're at their utmost darkest. And there's a real beauty to that. There's a real value to that. I have a real problem with the current state of, of popular music, especially in the indie world, of this, this sad for sad sake, this kind of exploitative songwriting uh, to kind of manipulate emotion. This is the opposite of that. This is the truest emotion viewed through every single lens at the same time. And, and that stuff that I was talking about before, it's, it's, it never truly makes you feel uncomfortable. It's just trying to relate with the, the surface level, easiest piece of, of sadness, of, of grief, of despair. When this is the true version of it. This is, this is everything those popular acts are trying to do, uh, done much better way before that stuff came to the forefront of independent music like it has now. I'm painting a, a grim picture here, but Amay is truly uh, an incredible joy and just life-bringing person to talk to and interact with. Uh, if you follow Desark on Instagram, uh, it's still updated regularly with just her everyday life now. You get to see uh, a passion for, for pottery, her basically living a happy life which you never got the sense that Amei was granted that during this time in the band, and it sounded like, you know, it was a real struggle to just keep this moving, keep this going forward. Uh, but Desark just never relented, just never gave up, just kept going until one day Amei just could not do it anymore. And that's what we really touch on towards the end of this interview. There's lots of fun and joy in this as well. Like I said, I, do, I don't just want this to be a, a dark, grim thing because the album deals with a lot of that type of stuff. Um, of all the bands I've interviewed, this is probably the last one you would guess uh, pff, recorded their album with Kurt Ballou, for example. There's some very funny stories, uh, you know, regarding Converge, working with Kurt, all this kind of stuff. It's just... Ian Mackay makes an appearance later on as well. Also very funny. Like I said, this is by far the most fun, the best interview I've ever done. Uh, I could not be more thankful for the time. Uh, Amaze's openness to share everything with me here. And I hope, I hope, I hope, please check this record out. Uh, listen to this whole interview. I think it's an absolute blast. So we're going to dive right into 2011's Don't Rock the Boat. Sink the fucker from Desark. How did yeah. you get how did you get started playing guitar? Um, I let's see. I think when I was six or so, my family moved to France and there was like a baby grand piano in the we did like an exchange. So we lived in this my mom was a teacher and so we just switched lives with this woman who lived in this teeny tiny village in France and she had a piano in her house. And that lady came in like, well, I was living in Arkansas at the time and she came and lived in our house. And we like just assumed each other's lives. Like my mom had took her job for a year and vice versa. And so I, I think in the first couple of months I became fluent really quickly in French just cause little kids. Yeah. So yeah. Up. Um, but I played the piano and I just like, it was just sort of like what I had to do. And then we got home and, I'd like the piano, but I think when I was maybe 12 or so, my dad um, got me an acoustic guitar and he was just like, check it out. I don't know. See if you <laughs> like it. And so, yeah, I mean, 
I loved it. I was obsessed with it. Um, and it, I mean, this is shameful, embarrassing, but hilarious. I was really loved Ani DeFranco when I was in, <laughs> it probably started in like middle school or high school or something. I would guess, I think it probably started in middle school. And, um, she used, she didn't play in standard tuning. And also my mom was obsessed with Joni Mitchell. And at the time I hated that. And now looking back, <laughs> yeah. she doesn't play in standard tuning either. And so I think, you know, I took a couple guitar lessons and it was just like watching a bro um, <laughs> yeah. riff to like Pearl Jam. Yeah. And I just was like, <laughs> how can I make it impossible for the, me to have to go back to this bullshit. And so it was, it was just like, I think standard tuning, you know, you then I left that. And I think it was a way of um, just leaving like the thing that wasn't, I was never going to fit in that box anyway, you know? So yeah, I just think standard tuning allowed me to kind of, well, I guess it's the same thing sort of people do when they like dress like punks or gods yeah, and they're just yeah. like, you know what? Fuck you. Like, I don't want to be a part of it. Anyway, I think like the detuning of my guitar was in part that like, I don't know what this is, but I know I don't want to be a part of it. And also, I mean, it, it tended to, I think it also started because, you know, if things were hard, like notes were hard to reach, then I would just tune the string down a little bit and then, you know, my finger could hit it easier. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And that was, that was, it was over from there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I taught my, I taught myself guitar as well, but the first song I learned was a half step down tune oh, yeah. standard, okay. but I just thought that was, so I would like try and play with friends, but I'm a half step <laughs> down and everybody else is standard. <laughs> and that is how indie rock was born. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> I was like, I, I'm like, I'm horrible. I can't, like, I sound so bad with everybody I play with. <laughs> and it took a little yeah. bit to figure it out. It is funny, you know, I didn't really, <clears throat> so like I knew what a, like, I didn't ever play in standard tuning, but I, I like I knew what a G chord was because yeah. I had played it when I was 10 or whatever. And then I remember I was hanging out with this band Pygmy Lush a lot and <clears throat> we were like hanging around a bonfire and it was always with them. It was like, pass the guitar around the bonfire, you know, and it would get to me. And I was just like, I can't fucking play this guitar. <laughs> like, I can't play this, you know? And I think I realized at a certain point, like, it's all a lot of people like connect and communicate through their instrument by playing in that kind of setting, like a bonfire, like community yeah. event. Um, for me, I, I just never had the option to do that because I was like, I'm not going to fuck up somebody's like guitar, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, break half the strings or whatever. And it was a really like lonely, um, realization and also really like helped me understand how, you know, in how it, it's just like informed, I think how I wrote songs too. Just like, I didn't grow up playing covers. I didn't grow up trying to learn other people's songs. You know, it was really just like, what's coming out of me, you know, and I just think about that a lot. Like, and I always encourage young people also, or people who are like starting an instrument to fuck up the tuning because it like, it frees you from sort of trying to replicate other things or, um, not being able to like live up to it. You know, yeah. the world like can open up for people too. Yeah. when they, they just get, 
it's like fifth standard tuning to me just feels too capitalist. (laughs) 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 I can't fucking do it. Yeah, yeah. But then ironically, like when I learned how to play in standard, I was like, fuck. I just wrote a thousand songs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> now you can come back to it later. You get stuck in a rut now, you just go to standard, it yeah. opens up a new yeah, world. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. what is this crazy <laughs> shit, you know, that people are doing? So I wanted, from from my research, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to see if this was correct, that, or if you remember, because it has been a while, uh, if you think that it is right that you started this recording process for Don't Rock the Boat in 2007. Yeah. Yeah, so it took, it doesn't come out till April 1st, 2011. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sounds about right. So at Well, thi- let's see. I don't know when, yeah, that sounds right. I, I would, that's probably right. <laughs> so you have Loose Lips in 2005. Uh, you yeah. do your first live at WXDU 2006. Okay, yep, that sounds right. Then Battle of the Beards comes out in 2007, so I imagine that's, it was... That's the one, the record that we shall shall not be named. I, okay. I hate, I hate that. I mean, no, we can totally talk about it. I just, I, I hate that thing. That is so funny, because that is like <laughs> the record my wife and I, when we, oh <laughs> when we found that, so your songs on the second half of that was just like all we listened to. For, oh, for years. That's so for sweet. For years and years. That's so awesome. And it was just like, it was like, what You can those... always count on the Canadians to be nice when every, every other thing, maybe it's like, I'm being the meanest to myself I've ever been. And I'm just. That comes out in 2007. Have you already started planning saying, hey, I think I'm going to do a full length next? I don't, you know, I never know what the fuck I'm doing. So I think the, the, the first record, the I can't even remember what it's called. Loose Lips. That's what it's called. Uh, that was like me and the person I was dating, and we were, it was just like a shit show, and it was crazy, and it was just like, I think at that point, basically someone armed me with a tube amp, and uh, <laughs> and that was that, you know? And, I, and, then, and then that sort of, like, we broke up, and that just fizzled out, you know, like, but I was like, I just, I want to keep doing this. And so I kept writing songs and but they were by myself and they were all quiet and super sad. And, and then I think I, with Don't Rock the Boat, I was like, how do I, they were like starting out as these super duper quiet. And I got this little four string tenor guitar. It's like a little parlor guitar, total piece of shit. And I think I just started writing songs on that. And so I think that that's probably what began in 2007. I also started playing um, with Ashley Arnwine from Pinkwash, um, who in terms of like the loud side of things, just like opened up my whole world. Ashley is just like the most incredible drummer, musician, all around person. So I think like the, the quiet stuff was like happening in the background. Those songs were getting written. And then at the same time, I had had a long stint of just like being by myself, um, I guess. Well, not long. It was like two years, I think, from 2005 to 2007, just sort of putzing around, touring by myself, playing songs on like broken acoustic instruments. And um, and then in 2007, like kind of met up with Ashley and we did a tour together um, with another person. And it was just like, I think my brain was like, how do we 
do the quiet things. And then also like just the power that Ashley brought into my life and like the amount of empowerment that she offered me um, of feeling, you know, like I think a lot of times, or I'll just speak for myself. I felt like I had been armed with tube amplifiers by a man and that didn't really it was like I had been given permission to be loud, but I had, I wasn't like, I didn't own it yet, you know? And I think like when Ashley came into my life for the first time, I felt like I was allowed to just fucking own it. And, and, and her way of like coming at music is just um, incredible. Like she just, my perception of her is that she's like, well, you know, like her goal with music is honestly to like support people and finding their power. And anyway, she didn't, she really did that for me. And so, I, yeah, I, I, but I had these quiet songs too. And so I was kind of like, is there a way for both to exist? You know, because I felt they scratched such different itches. Both things are like coming out of my body. I felt connected to being really, really quiet and really, really loud at the same time. Like that's just how life is for me. And I think a lot of people too. So yeah, I think in 2007 was just like a really powerful year of touring, playing mostly queer scene shows and um, just feeling like I don't need anyone's permission anymore. You know, like I, I, ha I have what I need to be powerful and take up space. And but I also was like, Ashley is the person that has given me that has like shown me that, you know, so. I, yeah, I think that that's kind of how it started. Um, I And I'm sure she's, I know she's been another, I mean, she's been in a million projects, but probably Waxahachie would be like yeah. the most well-known one, yeah. Were you living in Philly at this time when you were writing this? <laughs> no, I was in um, North Carolina and I was living in Durham. And then in about 2006, um, my, my parents lived on 10 acres of land um, like an hour Southwest of Durham in the, in the middle of fucking nowhere. And my dad, um, you know, my dad is like, well, he, he's always been my favorite person. He like, he doesn't say anything. A lot. I mean, he just doesn't talk unless he's like going to rip a hilarious joke at, or, or something, you know, like, but then it's back to the silent and he, so he's like full of all these talents that I think growing up, neither my mom nor I are like aware of until he just drops them. Um, and so he was like, I think my grandma, when I was little had gotten me like some savings bonds or something. And they were, it, they had totaled up to be like $5,000. And I had, was on tour constantly, like always coming home to other people's houses. And my dad was like, well, I mean, you're not going to fucking college, right? And I'm like, no, it looks like that's not going to be in the cards. And so he said, well, let's like build a house. And I was like, all right. So my dad and I built this little tiny house on their land. Um, and so I lived in that and I didn't have any running water and I lived in it for 10 years about, um, and it did have electricity. So you'd be proud. Uh, we, we hired, we had a friend come in and do that because we didn't know how to do that part, but that's actually where I learned a lot of the like construction stuff. Um, you know, that I poorly replicate today, but, um, yeah. So I lived there, but because I didn't have rent, I was able to just kind of bop around, you know, and be wherever. So 
I didn't move to Philly. Um, my mom got diagnosed with uh, late stage ovarian cancer in 2008. And so, and then she went into remission in 2010. And so I was like, all right, I'm out of here. I need a break. Um, cause we ran a family restaurant, a food truck. I just was like, I need to get out of North Carolina. And, and I think Durham at the time, like in the early 2000s, it was unusual that any bands were touring. There was not a punk scene. There was like one in Greensboro, but there was not one in Durham. And so I just felt like I felt like a weirdo being on tour. Like it just it felt it just felt weird. Um, and so I wanted I moved away into the woods because I was like, I also need a break from the small town shit where everybody's like talking and about everybody. <laughs> um, and so I tried to, you know, I was like, where do I where would I want to go where touring just seems more normal, you know, like, and so Philly was affordable. Um, I always had a really wonderful time there. And it was super working class, which, you know, I grew up poor. So that's like really important to be in a community where like the artists come from similar, um, socioeconomic backgrounds. And so, yep, I moved there in maybe like 2010 and lived there for a couple of years. And then my dad got diagnosed with cancer actually. So then I moved back home, um, to help take care of him and, and keep running the food truck. So, oh, okay. but at, at this time I was living in the woods, but spending a shitload of time in DC to play with Ashley. Yep. Yep. So when you start playing with Ashley, do you, do you kind of already have the quiet songs and then you start writing mm -hmm. these louder ones or? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. And then there's some like, um, well, let's see though. There's one called two hearts are better than one. No, I'm sorry. There's, let's see. Bon chance asshole is like, and that's one where like, I don't know. It's the one that's like this town. It's a dirty, dirty, dirty town. town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. about Durham. It, that's one where like it was started on a little tiny guitar and then um and then Ashley just blew it up. Yeah. Um and I'm trying to think like There's a song yeah. Ashley's song as well as Well there's that. Ashley's yeah. song. And that was one like I think that one Ashley's song and um It's Only a Bargain If You Want It. Those are two songs where I just feel like yeah, those songs would never have exist without Ashley. I, I think it was like, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think both of those songs in some ways were just like, will you play a drum beat and then I'll write a song to it? <laughs> you know, um, I definitely think like so much of my time in my life, I'm like an only child. It's just me sitting in my own fucking shit, you know, like trying to come up with art from it. And then this was a time where I was like, oh, whoa, I'm like super motivated by some, or like inspired, like I'm connected with somebody, you know, they like push a button and it just comes like flowing out of you, which I think a lot of people experience when they play in bands with other people. But I spent so much of my time just alone that I think, yeah, Ashley's song and, and uh, the bargain song are just like the one. Yeah. I just feel I think those were written around like her just being a maniac on the yeah. drums. <laughs> <laughs> and so throughout this time, you're. It looks like I found a the old Tumblr, but also the old WordPress. You had a WordPress Ooh, blog yeah, as well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny because you have you have a very strong voice in the songs. 
Uh-huh. But also you have a very strong, completely opposite voice on the internet. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I think it's like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. There's like a whole era of the Tumblr oh, where God. you're making jokes about being pregnant. And I, I don't know. Oh. Yeah, well, (laughs) we had actually on a tour in 2007, we called it the tour baby. It's like you're in a van forever. There's, and you know, we were all vegan, I think, at the time. And like being vegan on the road in 2007 was, well, I'll say it's easier than it was being on the road vegan before that, but it was not the easiest, you know, and I think. So it's like you're in this constant state of panic about like when you will have food again. <laughs> and so then when you get access to food, you it's just like, go hard. oh my God. Yeah. And then we would all have like the tour baby, we would call it, where we're just like, we we're just all super fucking bloated and just like, oh God, we've eaten so much food. Like, how do we move? And so I think um, I was, uh, we did a tour in Europe. And it was like the first European tour was me and Ashley and then this woman, Tasha, and we all played like acoustic instruments. It was like all, well, it was mostly acoustic. And then Ashley and I would do like a two piece rocker thing for some of it. But I think I was trying to tell, uh, like we played the show in Austria and I was, you know, I was like, I don't know how to speak another language. So you just like speak in English in between songs. And I always talk in between songs quite a bit like it just makes me feel more comfortable um slash more awkward but uh (laughs) i tried to explain the tour baby thing and everybody started like clapping and like they were so excited (laughs) and i i and apparently i kept hearing like oh congratulations you are pregnant this is such good news anyway so i think it was kind of a thing that it was just like lost in translation and yeah So the tour baby. Yeah. Yeah. So when you start recording, you have, uh, Ashley, uh, and then someone named Noah Howard on guitar. Yeah. Sweet. Noah. Yeah. Yep. So are you, are you writing with the three of them or are you a person who, I, I have these songs, they're basically done, add your flair to it, but here is the structure, the lyrics are finished, or are you working with the three of them? I would say that, um, Ashley's song and uh, and it's only a bargain if you want it. I wrote with Ashley, uh, like together more collaboratively, like you know. Um, but the rest were just done. I had them. Okay. Um, yeah. I think there was probably like I honestly I don't remember, but I'm like I know I had girls get rough. I know like all the quiet ones I had, and Bon Chance started out as a quiet one, so I know that was um, a thing. Fuck, fuck the world, y'all, is um, that's one that it was like a song where you write, it's just like the guitar part and the lyrics, like they come out of your body at the same time. So yeah. like there is no, you know, you're just like, it has to be the cadence. Like it's, it's, it just was what it was. Yeah. Howard's Hour of Shower, that's actually a song for my, well, the title is for Noah Howard who played guitar. He loved to take long showers. <laughs> um, it's not about him, but yeah, I think I primarily write them all. And they're done. We talked a little bit about it before we got going, but the the recording process starts for this in 2007. It comes out in 2011. And you kind of split time on this recording between Black Iris Studios in Richmond, Virginia, Uh with Jonathan Fuller. And then 
I would have never guessed this, but <laughs> God City with Kurt Ballou. You did well, a bunch he, of... You know, Kurt gets the sickest drums ever. Yeah. And I was like, I think it was sort of like, this time I just, I was like, Ashley, I want to hear Ashley's drums. Like, the, yeah. I just think she's the most amazing drummer ever. And I just was like... I don't care what anything else sounds like. I want those drums to sound sick as hell. So it was Kurt, and that was that. I mean, at that time, you know, I feel like he was doing the Black Widow. What were they called? Young Widow? Black Widow? Young Widows. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like the drum sounds on that. And that may be actually the only band I would listen to that he would have recorded. <laughs> but yeah, it, that was the motivating factor. Had, had just, you met Kurt at all before that? No. No, okay. No. So, so, no. I was like, maybe there's some connection. Maybe there's no, some. No. The connection is I'm like, who's going to make all my exes? What's going to make my exes jealous? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. The guy from Convert. Yeah. <laughs> and now, is this true that you did some backup vocals on Axe yes. to Fall? Again, what's going to piss off my exes the most? Yeah, sure, Kurt. I'll oh, do that. Man. Yeah. I mean, Kurt was, like, funny. He was fine. I mean, I, I do, like, I spent my whole life in bands with dudes. I'm fucking disgusting. <laughs> like, I, you know, I mean, I talk about it with other queers and other women and, you know, non-binary folks that are, like, in the scene. Like, what did this do to our personalities, you know? Um, <laughs> but there was, like, there's some types of bros that I can hang out with where I'm like, I'm going to pull you down to my fucking planet, you know? And I feel like Kurt, like in our interactions, it was just kind of funny. You know, it was like, I don't have any reservations about rolling my eyes at people like that, you know? And he liked, I mean, I think he, there are just these times where it like works out to yeah. have people you can like pick on, you know, for being a bro. And um, it just works out, you know? I mean, and we were both vegan and we would like, he would converge would come to town. And I still, I've never heard converge. I don't plan on listening to it, but I guess I did sing on that one song, but uh, we would bring each other like pieces of pie on tour. Like it's lonely out here, you know? Um, and he was, a, he was a pretty nice guy. That's awesome. So, but yeah, I really was just like, we got to get Ashley's drums sounding, sounding good. That's it. So and when, Jonathan yeah, was, Jonathan. Uh, he's just, he's a fucking angel, man. I don't even know how he exists in this world, but he, um, so back into, after the first record, um, he played, okay. The, well, he was in sleepy time trio, which is one of the best bands that ever was. And then he was in engine down and engine down, like, um, took us, they had their very last tour in 2005. They were breaking up and they took Desark out with them. And at that time, Desark was with me and then Tim Herzog. Jonathan, he just was, I don't know. He, and I guess at some point, Jonathan just kind of became a friend. And I think he was kind of around for my whole, like, I'm in this loud band and now I'm just by myself and I'm like sad and I'm confused. And he, recorded that battle of the beards okay um and he was just like why don't you just come hang out on the weekends and we'll just see what happens and i'm like okay um and so yeah he and he started recording i mean it was just like he, i would go up and put one guitar track down and then i would go up like the next weekend and put one good, you know, and so I would like lay these guitar tracks down and then he would figure out how to play drums on top of them. 
somehow. And then <laughs> it was just like over the course, it took us four. I think it probably just took us three or four years to get all the pieces together. Because at that point I also decided I had to have 700 vocal tracks <laughs> on everything. <laughs> and, um, but I mean, Jonathan was just, he's like a big brother. You know, I think he just, um, he just made sure that I knew that he believed in what I was doing. And I, and I had never had anybody really treat me like that. Like I, I just, um, he was so patient and just like supportive and yeah, it was just like, I, I like, I want to get you, I want to help you get these documented, you know? So, and he was just doing it. I think we were like supposed to be doing it in secret too. Like, I think if I remember co correctly, we were like kind of sneaking into his job after hours. Oh, okay. But they had a bunch of nice gear there. They had pianos, they had everything, you know? So, but because of the nature of just piecing it one track at a time together, there was no band playing, you know, it just took a long time. After that, I guess during that, and maybe after, were you ever a person, do you enjoy recording? I fucking hate it. You hate it. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, you had asked me to do this and I was like, oh no, I got to go listen to those records, you know? And <laughs> so I went and listened to Don't Rock the Boat and I was like, this shit is so fucking sad. Like, why <laughs> it, did you tell me? <laughs> I'm such a sad sack. <laughs> and I'm just like, God. Um. And I just think like recording, well, I think, I mean, I also have like a weird record. The first time I ever recorded was at Jay Maskus from Dinosaur Jr.'s house. Like I don't I fucking, read that. I have like yeah. a, a very complicated relationship with recording. I would say um, it is historically a space where like men just really take over and make me feel bad. I mean, I just don't like it. Like a lot of the process of recording everything dies was just really not okay. You know, and, and there's just a lot of, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's like either someone's staring at you, like, so what do you want to do? <laughs> or someone's like bossing you around and you're like, I don't want to do that, you know? And so I just, I, it was, it's always been really hard to find a middle ground where I feel well, number one, the main problem is like, I've never believed in myself and what I do. Like I, I've always been really ashamed of it. And I've felt like it comes out because it needs to come out, but I don't, you know, the idea of getting on stage cause you have a song that you want to play in front of people, like is a vile thought to me. Like I can't, <laughs> I just, you know, like to me, I think Desarc was a, it was motivated by me wanting to make sure that people saw themselves on stage. Like that was it. You know, I didn't, um, I think like the content of the songs was me wanting to make sure that I had felt so alone. I, I wanted to make sure that other people just had an opportunity to maybe hear that they weren't alone, you know? And so I think the recording process, like there was no um, immediate connection with people. There was no like, I mean, I am obsessed with music and I am obsessed with sound, but I often was in scenarios where I was treated as if I didn't know what I wanted. And so I think, you know, the reaction to that can often be that you shrink because I don't want to get in an argument with people about it. Like, it's not worth it. You know, I would just rather disappear, which is not the way I am in a lot of other aspects of my life. But since it's 
um, connected to something that's so vulnerable for me, uh, it is hard for me to like be vulnerable and be really tough at the same time. And I think in the recording process, you have to be both. And so Jonathan was such an incredible, sweet, loving, kind, like just supportive human being. But I just had all this fucking baggage, you know, and I, and, and it's also something you have to get better at, you know, like and by everything dies, I feel like I was a lot better at being in the studio. Like I knew what I wanted something to sound like, and I had a better idea of how to get it to sound that way, you know, but at this time, like I just didn't have, it was maybe the first time I felt like I was getting sounds that I wanted to get. And they came from what I wanted, not from what someone else wanted. And, you know, Jonathan was like really helpful in supporting me with that. But I felt also scared that I was wasting his time. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a mind fuck. I, I, so being in the studio, it's like staring at yourself in a mirror <laughs> for, for yeah. five years. Yeah. At a time. <laughs> and then just being like, I hope this is okay, you know, and then it's like, and then it goes through this weird process of like strangers giving their opinion on it, you know, like music critics. I'm like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> um, like stuff like that. So it's like, it's, it's like a, it's a chain reaction that is, I think can be really scary and like get out of hand. Um, and if you're a person like you're probably really great in the studio. I feel like you're an electrical engineer. Like I love it. It's I I, hate, yes. I, I can't even really stand playing live at this point because in in my head there's this uh -huh. thing in my head and in the studio I can get it uh -huh. and out there I never can and I don't want to talk in between yep. songs. I don't like. <laughs> but in the studio, it's like everything yes. I'm, I'm hearing. I can find a way to make it happen, which yeah. I can never do externally. So does the part, because I think the part that like freaks me out is like, like the studio can be amazing if it's for me, but then the part where then you got to like give it to other people. I'm like, what? I mean, you know, like that part fucks me up where I'm, yes, I have something in my head. If I achieve it in a studio setting, it's fucking amazing. But then my next thought is I got to give it away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? You yeah. Know? See, I, I had such a bad, like, basically from growing up playing sports mentality of like, oh. of like, everyone out there is going to think this is shit. So we're going to get in here and we're going to make something that's going to just fuck them up. Like, it's going to be oh, yeah. perfect. Okay. And it's yeah. going to be way better. And it's like, and they're going to talk shit on about it because they're going to be jealous of it. <laughs> like that. Uh -huh. was, now in the studio, it's the opposite because yeah. I'm really releasing it to nobody. Nobody really listens to yeah. it. So it's, 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 I can just throw it out there and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. As long as I get it, I'm, I'm happy. Well, maybe being like, oh, I think I'll have Kurt Blue record the drums would be, or the, you know, is like my version of, of being like. Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. What would be funny? Well, <laughs> that would be, would be funny, funny, but also sound great. Like this could yeah, also yeah. really pay off if it works. <laughs> but even if it doesn't work, it's just going to be funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did. You know, I was kind of like when we went to Kurt's house, I was like, 
I bet he's never seen someone like Ashley play drums before. And I just was kind of like, I'm going to just sit back and watch his brain melt. And that is exactly what happened. And it was awesome. (laughs) You know, it's just like, just that was fun. Well, I imagine, yeah, being recording like that and being like every band that's trying to book you Mm-hmm. It's just ripping off your band and you must yeah, get then, so sick of just yeah, recording that totally. fast and then technical two, like, metal. And scrawny queers show up like, <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> and I'm sure that he is, I, I mean, I can only imagine he made some assumptions and then it just wasn't that, you know, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when, when you have the finished product, it's mixed, it's mastered, it's going off to get pressed. How are you feeling then? Do you still have the same apprehension? Is it worse now where you've now handed it off and you're like oh fuck what's you know how is it going to be received or are you partially relieved it's done I think I was probably really excited I mean I I remember feeling really excited about the stuff that Kurt recorded I think sometimes like the full band you know it's less pressure like I feel like there's diversion tactics happening you know um the quiet songs are definitely you're exposed yeah yeah, yeah. totally so I remember thinking, like, feeling really excited about that. And I remember feeling excited about the stuff with Jonathan. And just, like, I I do think this was the first record where I felt felt powerful, you know, like, after a recording. Like, I did it. I I did it, and it sounds good. And I'm excited about that. You know, I just felt, like, um, competent for the first time. I wasn't being given that. You know, I had just, like earned it or something and yeah i remember feeling like that and and when does love it records come into the picture i think i i think actually at the beginning like i think probably 2006 because um we had released our first record with a different label and then i think i maybe did the first little radio session and i think Brian from Love It Records, like, you know, it was one of those things where we, I never thought about record labels. I never just, I never thought I would be playing music in a band. And I don't, you know, so I think it was a thing where we maybe asked him if he would want to put out our record. And I think Tim Herzog, who was in the band initially, wanted to put a record out on Love It Records because Engine Down had put records out on that on that, and we loved them and Sleepy Time. And so I think he had asked Brian and Brian was like, yeah, but then Tim left the band or, you know, we parted ways. And so I think the idea from there was like, I think Brian was like, I still want to do a record with you, you know. So I think Ben Davis and I did that split battle of the beards. And that was just kind of like a warm up session, um, for don't rock the boat. Uh, did you listen to the whole record when you went back, uh, to prep for this at all? To don't rock the boat. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I did. Do you, did did anything surprise you when you went back to it? Other than the quality. Sad it is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know they're all sad, but you know, like I quit playing music in 2015 or so. Like I, 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 I know my songs were sad, but like, I don't, I don't revisit. I don't um, play anymore. Like I just, music is not a part. I mean, it's a part of my life as a consumer, a listener, but not as a participant. And so I just really was like, God damn. Like, (laughs) did you have a favorite from this record? Like the Ashley one's just special for. I think Ashley's song is the first time I, uh, well, trigger warning, like uh, first time I, 
really talked about my assault. Like, and I, the girls get rough and Ashley's song are, are like my, yeah, those are probably like my favorite songs on here just because I felt like I was able to like articulate for the first time. I, and you know, the, I was talking about something that happened in my childhood and you know, I had, I think in 2007, I, told my mom about it. And, um, I was assaulted when I was like three and a daycare. Is it okay to talk about this? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, As long as you're okay with it. Yeah. I'm totally fine, but sorry. Sometimes I just, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but, um, but it, and it came back to me like as an adult. And so I was trying to like piece all the pieces together, you know, and I didn't know at the time, but like it was coming to me in like film strip form. Like it was just flashes of things. And so I caught it. My friend Mariah, her mom um, is a nurse practitioner. And I was like, can you talk to me about this? Like this is happening. And she was like, this is totally normal because when you're a child and I'm only talking about this because I feel like, well, maybe this is happening to somebody. Maybe they didn't know this was normal, but Um, she said, you know, your brain hasn't fully formed. And so you remember things like as a film, like in flashes, it's not like this, um, continuous memory, the way we, you, we might remember something that happened to us as an adult. And so, you know, just like really, and at that time I was also, um, diagnosed as being bipolar. And so I think it was, and everything was just like starting to fucking make sense. You know, I, I, and, and I think, you know, again, touring with Ashley, there was another woman cater that we toured with, um, on those tours who was just like in the van and hanging out. It was such a powerful time in my life to be around these two queer women, um, who were just fucking powerful, you know, like while I was feeling like my whole world was falling apart, I was also gaining this sense of understanding about myself and like forgiveness and, um, and capacity to like share and, uh, empower other people, like by sharing these things that were really confusing and hard to me. And so Ashley's song is like kind of about when I, I like told my mom about it for the first time. And that was so scary, like to tell somebody, because I think when you're, um, when something like this happens to you as a kid and you're not able to like, I have this fully formed memory from ABCD, you know, it, for me, it just made me feel like no one's going to believe me. Like everyone's going to think I'm making this shit up. And then when I told my mom and I had all these details about the house and the, the way the bunk beds were set up and the blah, blah, blah. She was like, I cannot believe you remember all this shit. You were mm-hmm. three years old, you know? So, and, and that was really validating. I think like to have somebody just their reaction was like, you clearly, you clearly remember, you know? Um, so it was, yeah, just those two songs, like, I think they also, you know, they made me understand, like, the power of connecting with people through music, because I think that was the first time, like, playing those songs, because we played those songs before they got recorded, um, and I played, you know, a lot of, I don't know, I don't think Ashley's song was ever, like, a quiet, quiet song, but talking about that stuff and then just having connections to people where I was like, Oh, there's a way to be on stage where, um, it's not about putting myself on a pedestal. Like there's a way to be on stage where it's actually about 
building community and building like safety for people that have not really traditionally experienced it in these spaces. And so, I mean, this record in general is just like the first example I feel like of me being um, able to really like go to some hard, scary places that aren't just about my breakups, you know, or my bipolar depression, or they're actually about things that other people are like really trying to figure out, you know? Yeah. Do you remember by chance, because I asked because you have a blog post saying you had written a bunch of happy songs and basically like, these are dog shit. Oh. I don't know what I was doing. Yeah. And then you you seem to have figured it out. You were like, but we're on track now. I, I have the direction. I have the songs. We are on our way. And then that's that by the timeline, it had to have been the writing for this. Honestly, I think Howard's Hour of Shower, which is extremely <laughs> sad, was me being like, it's a happy it's a song. Happy song. <laughs> and I think Two Hearts Are Better Than One, which is extremely sad, was me being like, it's a happy one. Because oh. somewhere in there, I'm like, I think both of those songs is so funny where I'm just kind of like, what if we just lied and made up stories about how shit was great? And that was my version of a happy song. Like, I mean, it's all going to come crashing the fuck down, but like, what if we just kind of pretended it wasn't going to? Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming that that's what I was referring to. Oh, that's hilarious. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, I, uh, fuck the world, y'all, was, it's, uh, I, I think we talked about this in the email. It's been my alarm for like a decade. <laughs> Because it has like the quiet drums that build up, so I, I know if I get to the words, I've 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 gone too long. Yeah, like it's, <laughs> yeah, and you'll get punished for it. And I'll get you know, punished. Like, yeah. <laughs> keep snuggling at your own risk, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah I like it. <laughs> that, that that made me so I was I was so honored. I, of all the things that people have said to me over and over and over. I have never in my life been told <laughs> it's my alarm clock. It's my and that made me so, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> so do you remember what the touring cycle was like after you put the album out? I don't. I mean, I just, um, I know we toured a lot and we toured a So it came out in 2011. Oh, you know what happened is we met Pygmy Lush, um, yeah. who we're also in the midst of doing the like super loud or super quiet thing. And we just, it was like sister bands. It was sort of like, I remember we were playing, what's that stupid fucking thing in Austin? Oh God. South by Southwest. (laughs) Oh, Austin, Texas. Yeah. South by Southwest. Yeah. It's a fucking nightmare. And I can um, imagine I've only heard people who played it and they all just said it was the worst time. (laughs) It is honestly like, I'm trying to think of like the way, yeah, it's horrible. Um, so, but I just remember cause they had maybe put out a record on love it records and we had never met. And I just remember being at South by and being like, I hate everything. I want to quit music forever. <laughs> like, and then walking into some fucking bar and it was the backyard and it was like all gravel. And I walked into Pygmy Lush playing like they're quiet. It was like a full band, but it was quiet. And I was like, this is, these are my people. These are my fucking people. Like 
they're making something beautiful that's really quiet and everyone's talking over it. These are my fucking people. <laughs> I know this, yeah. <laughs> I recognize this. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just kind of like, you know that meme where Spider-Man is pointing at Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like we had that moment where it was like, you're the, you're, it's you, you know, like you'll understand. Yeah. And so then I think actually it was in 2011 that we did, or maybe 2012, we did a tour with Pygmy Lush that was epic and broke every single one of us. Uh, I think it was like six weeks. Um, and we rode in the van together and Johnny who played, well, he switched around, but he sort of played guitar or drums in Pygmy Lush. Um, he was playing, he was doing double duty. So he was playing in Desert and then also, and then he, and then also in Pygmy Lush. So, um, yeah, I just remember being tired <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but also feeling like there was a point to it all you know and i think like meeting pygmy lush really um you know when timmy left it's a lot of things like changed you know like he had his all whole like crew i think engine down like you know he jay mascus like that he had his people he wanted us to be in with and like play with and stuff. And I've maintained like some relationships, but, but I think when he and I split ways, like a lot of people disappeared from my life, you know? And I think it was kind of like, you're not what I thought you were. Like, it was just sort of like somehow Tim legitimized Desark. And when he left and it was just this sad girl with a guitar, people weren't interested, you know, like some people that we had played shows with together and stuff. So I just, I think I finally, I was always kind of, but you know, I, like I said, I grew up as an only child. So I'm like, I, I don't, you know, I grew up as alone, alone, you know, like I'm super social, but I'm also like, I could stare at a wall for six days straight. And I mean, like, and when I was living in the woods, like I wouldn't talk to somebody for two weeks and not even notice, you know? So there's, I think when I met Pigmulush, I was like, oh, my people, like I found them. I found the people in music that makes sense to me that I can relate to. Um, and so I think we did like several shows together. We played on each other's records. We, you know, just like really bonded. And that was the, I think the result of don't rock the boat, sink the fucker. I think it was part of that touring cycle. Um, but I don't know that like for punk bands, I don't know if we have touring cycles. We just sort of <laughs> tour forever all the time. And yeah. then accident, I think it's more like, oh, we accidentally put out a record. But the <laughs> the thing was always like, we were just always on tour. Like, I don't, that's what it feels like, you know. Yeah. Um, Did you have a preference playing in, in Europe versus playing in the States or, or, or the yeah, differences you know, that you? In, I'm like so attached to my gear and like, I fucking, I love my amp and I love my cabinet and you can't play on your own gear in Europe. And I never could, it was just like, it was really hard for me. I mean, yeah. I think, um, I am like kind of gear obsessed and, and, and it was like, my rig was like my personality, you know, it was like, that was, it was it's like playing it's on somebody else's guitar. Yeah, yeah like it's you funny when it. other you, when people talk, but it's like I I have the same thing. I have a guitar. Really? I've, I've gone through a couple other ones, ones that are much nicer. It's supposed to be, fa <laughs> but like I just keep coming back to that one. Yeah, and yep. then if I play a show or something without that, people yeah. will be like, "Where's where's that <laughs> guitar? Like, do you still have that Rickenbacker? I have it. Yeah, actually, uh, funny story. My friend Dave Laney, he played in a band called Mile Marker back in the day, and um, 
he sold me that guitar because he he decided he wanted to buy like a fancy guild or something. And so he was like, hey, do you want to buy this guitar? And I was like, hell yeah, because we had toured with Mile Marker and um, I just watched him. And Timmy from who was in Desert had played a Mile Marker for a while. So it was just like, hell yeah, I love that guitar. So he sold it to me and he bought his nice guitar. And then I think Roby from Mile Marker tripped over it or something like for the first show and <laughs> broke it in half. And so he was like, fuck. So then he went and rebought the guitar he had just sold me, but they're all a little bit different. Yeah. And so the one he bought, <laughs> like never played the same. And so Dave, he moved to, he ended up moving to Germany and then to Chicago. And then um, like a couple months ago ended up, he, he moved like two blocks away. And so now he, he'll like come over for a bonfire and I'm like, you're not allowed in my fucking house. Cause he's like, I'm going to go he's get swap that guitar back. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I do have the Rickenbacker, but I'm not allowed to say where it is because Dave's going to try to fucking swipe it. Yeah. What, what was your amp and cap? Um, it's just a, a JMP hundred, hundred watt. <sighs> That's what I yeah. have right behind me. Stop. Oh, yeah. look at it. Oh God. I love sticker. it. Yeah. That's a, I, I just got it. that like same thing. A buddy had it. And I knew he had it, and then I kept seeing him play shows not using it, and I just kept hounding him, hounding him, and finally he sold it to me, and it's just like, it's yeah. everything I've been trying to get for 15 years. I do think it's the perfect amp. I mean, I really, like, I didn't, <laughs> I mean, my first band in high school was all, it was three guitars, and we all used weird tunings, and none of, we all refused to use tuners, because we were like, <laughs> too many, like, like, fuck I think we were just like fuck pedals, but it's like, well, this is like the one pedal you should get. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you're just um, getting one, yeah. But I think that's what I loved about the JMP is like I I really like I learned how to play my fucking instrument, you know? Like I didn't it and it was it was so beautiful that it it like it 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 made my guitar sound so rich and beautiful and I could get like distortion out of it without having to, you know, change my sound yeah. and and run it through any pedal. So I just, I feel like that, that link of like, you know, that amp just sounding so beautiful on its own. And it's just, it's just, I don't know. And it, you grow I, with it. Like it informs yeah, how you play and right. Yep. Yeah. It's, yep. Yep. it's much more important. I think like, yep. yeah, every time we go to the studio, it's always, why'd you bring it? It's just, I, I just need this one. This yeah. is, this will just yep. work. This, I can't play these other ones. It sounds bad. <laughs> Even if it's the exact same through the speakers, to me, yeah. it sounds bad. Yeah. And you know, we would go to Europe and they'd be like, how about this JCM 800? I'm like, dude, you're fucking killing me. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing I hate more than those amps, you know, like no offense. I've heard them sound good, but I can't fucking play them. And, and yeah, you know, I just, and, and you know what, like we ended up, cause I, 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 I finally was just like, I talked to our friend Ingo who did most of our tours and I was like, I am so sad all the time. Cause I think we were just like using whatever gear he had. And so, and I, I swear to God, he had a JCM. So, um, he finally took us like, I think on like one of the last tours and was just like, took us to a gear warehouse where this guy like rents it. And he was just like, you know, eat your heart out. And I was like, Oh my God. And so, and then I bonded with the guy about how the JMPs are like the best amps and blah, blah, blah. And I got this amp and it was wonderful, but then we were playing it out of a shitty cabinet, you know? And I'm yeah, just like, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and so it is, it is really weird, you know, because the tours in Europe are as everyone who's been on tour in Europe knows they're so much more comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I really am like grateful for, 
all the work that people put into making them really comfortable and making them just so much more sustainable, you know, but it, it is a weird thing to then like when it's time to do your thing, the, the, the point a lot of times of the loud band is like, it's a physical release, you know, yeah. and, but there's like buttons that have to get pushed to get that shit out. And so playing through gear that I didn't recognize was like the things just, they just like wouldn't turn on all the same way, you know? And so it's like having to artificially force yourself force to like yeah. have the same reaction when like, you know, my feet aren't tingling in the same way that I, you know, like they do back home. Like my body is not, um, the sound is not like being absorbed in my body in the same way as when I have my gear, you know, so it's like really, it was always a really weird, I was so much more comfortable and so much more uncomfortable at the same time. And then I would do the quiet, sh you know, I toured by myself quiet and then also loud um, with a band and I would do the quiet shows and those were incredible, but I talking and like connecting with people in a microphone where you're like, I'm going to just speak in English. And I'm, I hope that that it's very, that part's like pretty lonely and isolating. Um, mostly just like talking into the void and not knowing if people can connect with what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did you come up with the title for the album? Cause I think looking back now with all the music you have put out, <laughs> I can't think of a better Desark title. than <laughs> Don't rock the boat, sink the fucker. Uh, that was a saying that our, um, this guy Newsome that we used to know, I think he had a t-shirt with that on or something. <laughs> so I just swiped it. You just took it. I just took it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. And, uh, how, how involved are you when it comes to like album art and stuff like for the, Oh, well, this was a nightmare. Um, <laughs> I was actually joking about it with some friends. I, I have I it here. That it is you right on the cover. It, unfortunately, yep, it is. Um, I had this lion costume. Yeah. And, again, I think I had spent too much time alone. And I thought it would be really funny if I had a – I put the thing on, and then I had my friend Nathan, who's like Nathan Gelgood. He's a comic artist, yeah. illustrator. If I had him – because so much of, like – me playing music was like men telling me I was disgusting. Like that's what touring was about. You know, it was just sort of like, it was brutal, brutal, fucking brutal. And, and just feeling unsafe and like being like, why don't you shave your armpits? Like, I mean, just the stupidest shit or like, you know, uh, sound guys being like, when are you going to put your sexy outfit on? Like, yeah. um, so I think, you know, you, it's like, uh, against all of your desire, uh, everyone is constantly like reminding you that your face is what they really are going to focus on. And so I had this idea. I was like, I'll dress up in this stupid costume and then get my friend Nathan to basically deface it with like really mean drawings. Because that's often how I felt was like, I'm just a, um, you know, a, a canvas for, for, for men to just, I don't know, get it out of their systems. And so I had Nathan draw these drawings and I showed them to my mom and my mom, my mom started crying. She was like, this is so mean. It's like so awful. And I was like, Oh, and then she was like, you can't do this. And it's like, it really like bummed her out. And so I was like, okay, we'll just figure something else out. So I had gotten these pictures taken, but then the picture 
just, I don't know. God, it was a fuck. Just never put, never put yourself on a cover. Never do it. it I, would, I thought you were just wearing like a parka. I didn't I realize it was a lion costume. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's like, a, like a little ear. That's I, I see it now, now, but I, I had never, uh-huh. it had never. Yeah. So and then on the was back, this your mom's compromise on the back? Yeah. yeah the, in the back, <laughs> we got all the, these were just like the cute drawings. Yeah. Um, the snake tongue, the teardrops, the devil horns. Yeah. So, and yeah, so I had sent it, I sent it. So I was joking because, um, my like two besties are the, these women, Janelle and Emily. And, and I had sent it to my friend Janelle that I knew. And I was like, dude, can you help? Like I, it's too late, but these are the photographs I'm freaking out. Like, I don't want to fucking do this. It looks, <laughs> and the, the pictures were like, when we blew them up, they were really bad quality. And like, I was just like, Oh, oh God. And so Janelle was like, uh, fuck no, I, this is hopeless. Um, and then, she or somebody was like, you should call my friend Emily. Emily's like, d- is a designer. She knows Photoshop really good. She might be able to help it. Emily was like, oh God, these photos are fucked. Like I can't, so she called in a friend who was like, I'll try, you know? And so it was just sort of like make it, it was an, it was a, it was an idea that was like so poorly executed. And now it is what it is. Like Ian, was it Ian who said, um, yeah, that guy, uh, Ian McKay, Ian McKay, Ian McKay, um, so he, uh, again, never heard these bands, but I, <laughs> I was going to say, you're just putting another one on the list. This is <laughs> Ian McKay is like the final blow in hurting the exes. Like you put that one in last and they're just totally defeated now. Like yeah, by far so, the hero yeah, for I basically mean, I, anyone between 25 yeah. and 40 who like punk music. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just read it and weep. People. Um, <laughs> don't know who any of these people are, but I know it's going to make you uncomfortable. Um, so he was always hanging. Well, he was hanging around. Yeah, he was at Discord because he yeah. fucking owns it. Um, but Brian from Love It ran or had managed Discord Records, and so I don't. Ian was around every time I'd go like visit, and we'd always, you know, he he's pretty funny, and um, I was always like locking my keys in my car, like fuck, and he's like, "What is wrong with you?" And I'm like, "I'm just trying to make it one day at a time, man. Leave me alone." You know? And he was he was like, "You know what?" I'm so fucking glad that you put your face on this. And like the band name is like really big. And he just went on this thing. And like, I now realize that like, this is like his personality. But at the time I was like, this is fucking hilarious. Like he was just going <laughs> off. About but he just was like, these bands today, they don't want to put their fucking band name anywhere. So you're just like, whose fucking record is it? You know, like, and he's just like yelling. He was like, I'm just so glad you made it like big. You know, it was just really, really funny. I, I really got a kick out of it. So Sometimes when I'm like bummed about the record, um, I think about him yelling at me in a in a complimentary a way. Complimentary yell, yeah. About like making the band name like visible and all this stuff, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. So a- after this record comes out, uh, you put out "Everything Dies" in 2015. So four years later, and uh-huh. you switch from Love It to Graveface Records. Yeah. For that, did you is Love It a label? Did you have like a contract, or was it kind of just like? Oh. No. Hey, we're here. Yeah. And then, so you switched to Graveface. They're from Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. Everything dies. You know, and honestly, um, so Brian was a friend and he was a friend for, and he still is. I mean, but 
just a friend. And, and I just, it goes back to like, you know, being in spaces where I don't feel I can fully be in power in control of my destiny, you know? And I, and I felt a lot of times like, I mean, it's no knock on Brian at all, but I just was like, I didn't always ask for what I wanted or what I needed because I didn't want to hurt his feelings or like, I didn't want him to have to go out of his way or I didn't want him to make compromises that he couldn't really work with. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I was too polite and never really asking for what I needed. And so I thought like, I need to, I want to make a record with um, somebody who's a complete fucking stranger so that I can just ask for everything I need and they can just tell me no, or they can just tell me yes. And, um, I had started, we had done a tour with the Appleseed cast and they, I think were putting records out on Graveface, and they were just like, yeah, it's great. We've really enjoyed working with Ryan and he's super straight up and, and I'm like, is he fucking creepy? <laughs> They're like, not that we can tell. Yeah, not, yeah. like, Done. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just, you know, I had an idea for what I wanted everything dies to be like. And I, and I wanted a budget. Like I, I mean, which was like a thousand dollars, you know, not me, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, but I just wanted Something. to, I didn't, you know, for this record, like we paid Kurt and we paid Kurt Kurt's rate. What did Jonathan get paid? I have no idea. It was like he and Brian were friends and, and it was just like, for all I know, Jonathan did it for free. I have no, it was just like all these favors all the time. And I just, you know, I was like feeling like I had to ask for favors cause I didn't have any money. Like, and I didn't know how to get money. And, and I just was, you know, I think there's also like this idea of, okay, with like running, you know, or anything, it's like, well, I don't know, this might just be my personality, but, um, I was scared of like, what would happen if I tried hard, you know, like if I'm just kind of like, don't rock the boat. I was like, yeah, I want to do a good job, but I was like pretty aloof about it. And then I think for everything dies, I was like, what if I asked for everything I needed? And I really stuck to my guns and I like really tried to make the thing that I heard in my head, you know? And to do that, like I needed to not always be asking people for favors. And so I felt like I needed a label who I could say, like, can I have $5,000 like to go pay somebody? Like, can I can I go to this person's studio and you just deal with the money stuff? And so that's kind of why I, I went with Greg, because he was just sort of like, yeah, do whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. And I was like, cool. You know, and, it, and I say that it's so funny because it's like, I don't know how much the record cost, you know, but it wasn't like. $20,000 or anything crazy like that. Yeah. But we like, you know, I, I took my time, I took some time with it and, um, and mixed it. Like the mixing process was very serious. And it was with this guy, Andy LaMaster, who is another fucking angel. Yeah. Is he playing um, bass in Bright Eyes right now? Or I think oh, the last really? time I saw this, okay. uh, this would have been a while ago. He was playing bass with them. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, uh, he's, he was just amazing. I just yeah. loved him so much, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was just sort of like, I wanted to, I was kind of like, well, maybe part of the problem is like, I'm scared of asserting myself around people I know because I don't want them to be upset with me. And so maybe I just need to kind of be around some strangers who are safe people, like from, what I can tell, but who I can just maybe be a little more like, no, yeah, around, you know, without feeling that there might be some repercussions that I create for myself in my head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You alluded earlier that you maybe didn't have 
did you feel like you got that out of this experience or was the tracking <laughs> difficult but the mixing you kind of put in that extra work and got it to where you wanted it um the recording process was really painful for me we did it in um a house with it and it was literally like one cymbal at a fucking time one kick drum <laughs> it was just like in someone's bed it was in a bedroom uh, for most of it and so and then again like somehow at the end jonathan fuller i'm like here's this insane piece of like completely mumbo jumbo shit can you put drums on it and he's all and it's amazing like um he somehow finds the beat and and, you know that recording process was uh, not the part with jonathan but the part that was like in the house you know it was with somebody that was just really bossy you know and i and i um I didn't, was not having a good time. It was really hard. I was in a house full of men um, who were just like, here's what I think. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. And I'm just like, oh, I there's just no space, you know? And, and I think even just like a peep made it feel like I was fighting. And I'm a pretty ferocious person. Like I can... Yeah, I got no problem flipping people off in the street, you know, like shit like that. But but there's like, again, it's that thing where you're vulnerable and you're trying to be assertive at the same time. It's yeah. just it's a it's a it's a hard combination, you know. So I just felt like really overpowered. Um, and the thing that I knew would happen is that at some point, if I could just get all the pieces of it, then we could I could put them together somewhere else, you know? And so that was like kind of what ended up happening with Andy. Um, well in part with Jonathan and, um, he put a lot of the drum stuff on it. Um, and probably some other stuff too, but I didn't look at the liner notes because I don't remember, (laughs) but then going to Andy's house and I did all the vocals at Andy's. Um, and, uh, and he, I mean, he's just the brilliant at mixing and stuff. So that was where I just felt like, Andy and I, I felt really safe with Andy. Um, you know, he's queer and he's just like a really, um, gentle person. And so I just like really needed that, you know, and I needed somebody to like, be like, it's going to be okay. (laughs) You know, we're in like a really sweet space now. And it was just, it was great, you know, but it was really a lot, um, because there were so many pieces flying around and then to just get them all into one record, you know, was really challenging. Cause at least with don't rock the boat, the loud songs, like the four songs that Kurt did were like, I still had to go put vocals on them and I had to go put bass on them and I had to go do stuff to them. But they had like, there was a band that we, you know, Kurt hit record and the band played the song, you know, um, for four of the seven or eight songs. Whereas like with everything dies, it was, it, nothing happened at the same time. It was kick, you know, then snare, (laughs) then, one guitar, then another horrific. guitar, yeah, yeah. then one piano line, then another piano, line, then a, you know, I mean, it was, it was just, and it was all in a fucking bedroom, you know? And so it's just like, shit, I can't believe it sounds, um, as good as it does, but yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but I just think about that too, as like, even when I joke about like, I wanted a label who would give me money. I'm like, oh, but it did get recorded in a bedroom. Um, yeah. So, you know, there was not any money really, but it, but, but I had like, I could ask like, can we get a, a, like somebody to mix this that, that really knows what they're doing, (laughs) you know? And I didn't feel guilty asking for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Before we get into where post everything dies, do you have a, looking back at this time, the don't rock the boat era, do you have a favorite memory from this period? 
either the writing, yeah. recording, playing? Yeah, actually, well, um, this guy, Matt, used to run a, sh- a show space in Tampa, Florida called Transitions Art Gallery. And it was connected to a skate park, um, which might have just been called the Tampa Skate Park. But he let us spend the night at the skate park, which usually I feel like we had gotten so much on its good side for like playing there for so many years. And he was like, you guys can sleep in the skate park. And I was like, fuck yes. (laughs) And so I actually is like a killer skateboarder. I don't fucking know what I'm doing. So we actually stayed up all night. We wrote It's a Bargain If You Want It. And Ashley song that night because we just set up all our gear in the skate park. Um, in the skate park, and then I decided to jokingly go down the half pipe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like sitting on the skateboard oh, on okay. my butt. Yeah. But then I like fell into it. Like oh fuck, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, that is my favorite memory. Is just like staying up late writing those song those two songs. Like I, I mean, and and maybe that's part of the sound of those songs too. It's like. It was actually like, I think we wrote them in the, um, God, I, I just remember it being like a big open warehouse, super like, you know, there's nobody in there. So it's just like, yeah. it just echoed and it was just a really beautiful sounding thing. Yeah. So that's probably my, yeah, that's my favorite memory. That's great. Um, I, and that my other memory is Jonathan Fuller. There was like a song where I was just like, I want to put some piano on this. And, and I, he was like hit record. And then I finished and he just was like, could you just make it any sadder <laughs> you know <laughs> i'll always remember that too <laughs> then you know you nailed the take you know, <laughs> yeah i yeah. was like well i mean if you're asking i could but <laughs> <laughs> don't so, like me. it was so sad and then you put that on and now it's so so sad yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. post everything dies you you quit playing music <laughs> yeah it's, yeah. I can only imagine with that touring, it was probably a combination of mental, physical, just sick of being broke all the time. Uh, you know, honestly, um, like I, I quite literally woke up one day and was like, I don't play music anymore. And, and I, I had plenty of plans. Like I didn't know I was at the end, but I was just at the end. Like it was a, the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. It just felt like I woke up and there was this thing that used to be in my body that was not my body anymore. And I, I did not feel like I had any control over it. I, I cried for like three months. Like what is happening? I mean, you know, since I was a little kid in France, like I always, my parents, when I was six were like, this is your thing, like music, like you get, this is how you communicate, you know? And I just, I always thought of myself as a musician and that was it. There was nothing else in life. You know, I mean, my family and community was like a big piece for me, but my identity around my family and my community was as a musician. Um, and yeah, so I, I called a painter friend of mine and I was just like, has this ever happened to you? Like I would walk past a guitar and it would just, um, it looked like something I'd never seen before. Like, I'm not sure that if I was like, if I picked that up, I actually don't know if I would be able to play it. That is how, unfamiliar. It looked like, it was like I had a lobotomy. It just, like, I can't, it was the weirdest fucking thing. And so I called a friend of mine and he was like, that totally happened to me. And, um, it left him for like 10 or 12 years. And then one day it just came back and he just knew when it was back, it was back. And now that is his full-time job. But I just had to, 
honor it, you know, like my body was telling me that this wasn't in me anymore. And that was, you know, I was never in it for any of the other things. Like it was just sort of like, there was nothing else to maintain for me. Um, so that was that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think people, cause especially now when you see like a, a touring band, like no one does six week, American <laughs> tourists anymore. Like I think well, it's not during COVID also. Yes, yeah. But I think yeah. it's I think it people don't really think about like the the physical toll of just being okay. out there it is just as much yeah. as like I think people assume like, oh you know, this band tried, they didn't make it, or the label <laughs> dropped them, or the shows weren't well attended, whatever, that's why they stopped. But there's also right. A just the the mental exhaustion is like you're never home. Uh, I don't yes. see these people anymore. Do I know them anymore? Yeah. And when I am home, I'm so broke. It's just painful <laughs> yeah. that the only alternative is I just need to go back out. Yeah. And then That's physically, exactly you're right. just like, I've, I've slept sitting up 18 days this month. And, it's, <laughs> and I can't yeah. do it anymore. And when you stop yeah. sometimes, that's when it like clues in. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's like, I do it. The last tour we did, I remember like I woke up and I I was like, Oh, I've been using it. Like my pillow that I had been using was like a chewed up slipper, (laughs) like someone's dog toy that was like formerly their slipper. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you know, when it was time, when my body told me, I was like, what, what? I felt like I had been broken up with, but then at the same time I was like, I'm so fucked up, like in so many ways. And there is, I have nothing else going on, you know, in terms of like, what would I do if this wasn't what I did? And I realized, you know, I always thought of myself as a musician only. And as soon as I stopped playing music, I signed up for a ceramics class and I was like, Oh, I'm an artist. Duh. <laughs> like I never gave myself space to think of myself in any other way, but mu- music, you know? And I never learned that like, there's a lot of ways I connect with people. Actually. It's not just through sound, you know, it's, there's just a lot of ways. And, and I think being able to be home and really support people and support my own friendships um, in ways that I, I just, I wasn't able to be present for. And like, I found, this is going to sound stupid, but I found accounting is, um, I'm a bookkeeper and I love it. And because it's like, well, it's just like a different way to support people, you know, in a, in a field where like people are really fucking disenfranchised, like they're really fucked over in this field. And it's like, if I can be a weird looking person that's like, I'm going to help you out. Like you're not weird. Like you deserve care here too. You know, like that has just been a really cool being able to answer people's questions about their taxes or like even, you know, reading like, um, financial assistance forms where just like, you know, helping people in my neighborhood, like get financial assistance because I work in a job where I read IRS language all day long. And so now I just can read forms and they like, they're, they're not, the language doesn't feel scary to me. Um, so I can help with that. You know, like I just was never, I think I showed up for a community for 20 years on the road, but it wasn't a community that was in my place where I also lived, you know, it was like a community of queers and a community of, um, survivors and a community of like 
whatever radical people, but um, they weren't often in Durham, North Carolina, you know? And now I just feel like I just am able to be with my neighbors a lot, you know, and that feels really cool. I, yeah, I'm excited about it. And I really, I miss traveling and I, there's a lot of it that I miss. Like, I think I feel a lot less powerful in a lot of ways, you know, and um, music like ignited something in me that made me just feel I think gender has always been really hard for me and like really challenging for me. And I think music always offered a space where I could get out of my body and um, take other people with me, you know, and now in my life, like it is hard to figure out how to do that on a day to day basis. And that's really challenging. But I also feel like, I don't know, maybe it'll come back, like maybe it won't. But but I do think like, I can commit to finding out how to do that in another way too, because ultimately like touring and show spaces are also just not accessible for a lot of people. And so I think like, I am thinking now about ways of including people in ways that I actually totally missed, you know, like I think about that so much, all the things that I I thought I was being really inclusive and I thought I was creating really safe spaces. And, and I, was, but there were people that I, I wasn't creating safe spaces for. And so I just think about that now, like it's always important to stop what you're doing and do something else so that you have the ability to make connections with people who don't exist in that world, who can tell you like, this is why I don't exist in that world, you know? So yeah, I I do feel like now is like a, a time where I'm just like really learning about what it means to create a safe space. Ironically, I'm I'm not actively doing it, you know? It's like I think I'm I'm yeah, opening up. Um it doesn't feel so um personal. Like I I don't feel like I'm in a space where I I get defensive about that stuff because I'm I'm in a listening stage where that stuff is concerned, you know. So I don't know. There's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. Yeah. Yeah, the power I could definitely see this like having that. It's not that this touring life was for nothing, but now it's just a yeah. new, fresh perspective. And I think about that with ceramics. I mean, I kind of hate ceramics right now, but in general, like if I if I get back to that, yeah. um, you know, you know, there was something like you know about going from music, which is just sort of like oh, it's just it's it's held down by all this fucking bullshit people like they put their in, they have an Instagram page before they ever fucking have a band, you know, like, you know, it's, it's just like, it's just so much commodity and grossness. Um, and like, it was very difficult to exist, to try to figure out how to not starve to death. Um, and sort of kind of shittily take care of myself. Um, while also like being in this environment where I'm like, I can't relate to any of this. Um, and like what people's goals are here, like they're, you know, and then, and then to go from that to like ceramics where I'm like, here is a plate you can eat off of (laughs) and like nourishment food is like the number one thing we need to feel cared for, you know? And like food has always been such a huge part of my life. Um, like preparing food for people, sharing food with people and 
like I'm, I'm nothing if I can't, you know, that was like one of the really hard things about COVID is like my way yeah. of showing love is to make food for people. But so I think to go from this art form where, you know, it felt very egocentric and like, here are my problems, you know, to being like, I made this thing for you, um, where, you know, I know that people got a lot out of Desarc, um, and I'm really happy about that, but I don't believe them in a lot of ways. You know, there's like a part of me that's just sort of like, well, you might, maybe you, maybe, you know, like, you know, it's just, I, you know, the art brain where I'm just yes. like, but it's terrible, mm-hmm. you know, um, <laughs> And I don't understand how to share music in a way where I'm like, you're welcome. You know, like, so with, I think ceramics is so cool because it's like a physical thing you can share and give to somebody. And then you see them use it to nourish themselves. And I, and, and, and while I know that that is what happened with music, and my songs, like I was never able to fully believe that, you know, and where with ceramics, I can really believe that I yeah, see it, you know, it, yeah. no. And, and so I just, yeah, I, I always think like, maybe if I ever play music again, yeah, I don't know. I think it would be really different. I don't know how, but you're right. Like it's all part of it. Like I don't, it had to happen. I had to quit. Yeah. I just really believe in quitting. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I just really like love to quit things. Um, I'm a triple Sagittarius, so I want to quit everything before it quits me. So, uh, yeah, well, yeah. I, I think mean, it's powerful to walk away. Yeah. You know? I just, that that's the thing. I think in all this time of like feeling like music was taken away from me, I was like, also, I walked away. You know, mm. and that's really hard to do. And it takes a lot of strength to do that. And so I try to just remember that too. Like that was probably the hardest thing of all was to walk away, you know, to just let it go and take care of yourself. Yeah. 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 So, well, I I don't know if, if it ever does come back, there'll be people waiting. (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much for doing this. Like that. We we went longer than I, I, told you it was going to be but i, I was having uh, a great well, time I mean, ta- you know i'm a talker so <laughs> this is yeah. great um the record is don't rock the boat sink the fucker um it's incredible one of my favorites thanks so much for running us all through this <laughs> and uh yeah like i said if it ever comes back i know yeah many of us will be ready thanks kyle there you have it. That's my interview with Desarc for 2011's Don't Rock the Boat, Sink the Fucker. I hope you had as much fun as I did. I, I, like I said, I had an absolute blast when someone's that willing to be that open and honest and, and talk about all the things she did from the good to the bad. Um, it's really special. It's really special for fans of this record like myself for fans of Desarc to to get a lot of that behind the scenes and really hear the explanation what someone went through to to produce such uh, important and beautiful music and I know now with the the way we've commodified music and in art in general you know the 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 films the poems the songs uh, all these things that deal with these deep emotions heartbreak grief uh, loneliness that we might not find it important in our day-to-day life. And then uh, 
something happens, your heart gets ripped out of your chest, something like that, and, and this is the first place you go. These things become relevant and they become important again. And I hope that that people not only appreciate that, but find ways to support it and make sure it keeps happening. Because in our current state, you know, we heard it with the May, like the, the 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 support system is just not there for these artists to continue to create these great works. And it makes me sad to think of all all the stuff that never came to fruition because. Uh, artists like Amay just could not emotionally, physically, financially continue to keep going and keep working. Thanks again for checking out the show. Like I always say, the best way you can help me out if you enjoyed what you just heard is to just share the episode with a friend, family member, whoever on your socials to 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 make sure other people hear it. You want to get in touch with me at the show? It's that one record podcast at gmail.com. Or the best way, like usual, that one record podcast on Instagram. Uh, you'll get the fastest responses and interactions. And it's the best way to keep up to date when episodes are dropping, when stuff's coming out. Thanks so much again for listening. And like always, see you next time. <laughs>